today on Ag News Daily. So having a relationship with a plant has been huge. It's a great, great facility. I mean, the owner comes out every time and helps them load cattle and I can walk through the fab floor and see what they're working on. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, let's see, I, I had something to say, but I just lost my train of thought. It's this new year. Oh, I know. Well, I mean, I guess this has to do with the new year, but I still keep writing 2020 on all my dates. Are you still doing that as well? Well, I'm really not dating many things just yet, but I assume that I will be once school starts back up. <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Well, maybe by then you'll you'll have gotten used to it. I don't know. I don't know. It normally takes me quite some time, but we'll see. It, we certainly will, Ashton. And one thing we'll also see, I'm going to dive right into some news here. This is something I can't be honest that I'm watching super closely, but I know that it's uh, something that a lot of folks are watching as far as the political scene goes. Um, but we are continuing to see what's going on with the presidential election debacle. We've seen hundreds of business leaders, including some folks in the ag industry, are asking Congress not to delay confirming the results of November's presidential election. A lot of Republicans have voiced concern or voiced that perhaps they were going to challenge the electoral college votes. And so now we're seeing kind of this whole mess continue on. To be honest, I don't know enough about how the system works when we get to this point to know if they do challenge the Electoral College, what happens next? You know, Delaney, I saw the same thing. And I got to be honest, I didn't follow it super closely because I, I guess I've just been seeing so many things moving forward with the Biden administration that the Electoral College and the votes and, you know, whatever has been going on, I just really haven't been paying too much attention to it uh, since they've been talking so much about the transition to the Biden administration. Absolutely. Absolutely, Ashton. But it's something that we got to continue to pay attention to. I don't think anything, you know, last minute will happen here, but I guess that's always the, the challenge or the possibility here when we get to this point. It sure is, Delaney. And I actually have some government news myself the distribution of the third round of coronavirus food assistance program funds and other policies outlined in the recent omnibus spending bill will likely take place after the transition to the Biden administration. USDA Undersecretary Northey says that the bill just being signed last week, there are some parts they are implementing now and others that will take a little bit more time. And he uses the 80% payments for euthanized livestock as an example because there are some challenges that uh, Undersecretary Northey points out, such as what qualifies, what are those payments based on, what information do you need? And so there's a lot kind of up in the air still, even though that bill was just put through. Northey says that they are hopeful for a smooth transition that will not delay the implementation as those funds are, you know, needed to go out to those that are in need of that relief. Well, that is good news to hear then, isn't it, Ashton? It certainly is. I also hope, you know, that there's not, I guess, too much of a ruckus when it comes to a transition if, you know, one is to take place. As, you know, you had just mentioned that they're calling for those electoral votes to, you know, be presented. 
Absolutely, they are. So we'll have to keep an eye on that and see how that story develops here. But another story that's developing that I thought was quite interesting, and I think we should bring to our listeners' attention, is a recent statement made by a Cargill executive. They basically went forth and said that U.S. soybean futures prices are on the rise, as we know, amid continued Chinese demands and concerns of tight global supplies. And they're saying that markets are putting a rationing mode on. They are they're. Cargill's head of corporate trading, Joe Stone, said, quote, I would think that we haven't hit the top yet because of the question of rationing. So we've got next Tuesday, the WASDE report, which will hopefully confirm or deny speculations that we do have a really tight, not only domestic, but also global supply. But, you know, to have this high level of a executive come out and say, hey, soybeans are going to continue from what we anticipate to trend higher, that does seem pretty supportive for commodity markets uh, long term. And we definitely keep the steam rolling today as soybeans moved yet again higher today to close the trade, Ashton. Well, so it's, uh, it's exciting times to be a soybean producer. How about that? It sounds like it. And, you know, today is actually National Bean Day. I'm not sure if soybeans count in National Bean Day, but I'm going to go ahead and just say so, so we can celebrate those soybean farmers a little bit more. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure this is going to be influencing folks' decisions on acreage planting already. I know that's always a discussion we have starting off the first of the year, but uh, that's going to be something we're going to have to continue to cover in the podcast as well. It sure is Delaney and something that I have been covering a lot of lately is the strain of bird flu. Today, France is to call around 600,000 poultry as it tries to contain the avian influenza virus that is spreading among duck flocks in the southwest of France. And this is followed by China suspending poultry imports from France due to that highly pathogenic strain to protect the country's animal husbandry sector. China had already banned poultry imports from Ireland in December, but I think that those are the only two countries that China has bans on for poultry due to bird flu, you know, not due to COVID or anything like that. But just a small follow up there as we are continuing to see that highly pathogenic strain really just ramp through those foreign countries. And I don't really think that there's an end in sight at this point. No, it certainly sounds like there is not. And there's also not an end in sight, it seems like, for continued pork demand. Brazil's pork exports confirmed expectations that for the first time they have surpassed 1 million tons of pork exported or imported, I should say, during 2020, according to data put together by Brazilians Association of Animal Protein. They needed the protein this year. Obviously, COVID-19 created some issues in the supply chain. And we saw this push hog futures higher, not necessarily this particular piece of news, but we're seeing continued demand push things higher. We saw the Chicago Board of Trade futures rose nearly 7% over the past past four sessions, which have reached the highest levels since October. So it sounds like, you know, although some governments and although some countries may still be dealing with COVID, 19 lockdowns and shutdowns, the economy and the demand we're seeing for agricultural commodities is moving full steam ahead. Well, Delaney, I just have one other news story to share with you today, and it's also coming from Brazil. 
Brazil's JBS is under fire for buying cattle from two ranches that later ended up on Brazil's, quote, dirty list of companies that have employed slave labor. JBS said that it banned the two firms once they were on the dirty list. However, the company said that it was unfair to expect them to stop working with any ranches facing allegations of slave labor from inspectors as those companies also had the right to defend their actions. In Brazil, employers who whose workers have been rescued from labor inspectors are allowed to defend themselves in front of a panel, which is part of the economy ministry, and to appeal against charges of slavery. The firm is only added to the dirty list, one of Brazil's most powerful anti-slavery tools with 114 names on it to date, if found guilty by the panel. Under Brazilian law, forced labor is defined as a form of modern-day slavery that includes degrading work conditions and long hours that pose a risk to workers' health or life and violate their dignity. Blacklisted businesses that have been on this list cannot receive state loans and have restrictions placed on their sales. The list is also used by private banks to gauge credit risk and by international buyers concerned about their supply chains. But uh, from from what I understand, it's kind of difficult to legally make any meatpacker responsible for um, for for buying cattle raised on on ranches that have employed slave labor. But no action thus far has been taken on on JBS. But I will continue to keep an eye out on this. But I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah. And, you know, we've got now this kind of ongoing lawsuit against Tyson from the Waterloo facility. We've got this case going on. I think that this type of legal action, whether or not it goes anywhere in the courts or not, is going to be pretty common as we start to see things reopening here and we start to see people trying to get back to some sort of normalcy. Yeah, Delaney, you you make a great point there. So I'm going to, you know, keep an eye out on not just here in the U.S., obviously, because, you know, like you said, we saw the Waterloo case and then this case in Brazil. But I'm expecting, just like you, that some some cases internationally and domestically might start popping up. Absolutely, Ashton. But let's see, I think that was all my news I had for today other than talking through markets. What else do you got for us today? That's all I have. I'm ready to hear the markets, Delaney. All right. Well, kicking things off here in the grain markets, as I mentioned, soybeans continuing their explosive moves higher and pulling corn right along with them. March contract today closed up three and a half cents to end at 459 or excuse me, 495 and a quarter. We flirted with five dollars in the overnight, but couldn't quite pull through. The December contract is starting to get a little closer here to the front month contract as we close two and two quarters cent higher to close at 440 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the January contract adding 15 and three quarters cents to close at 1365 and three quarters. The March up 16 and three quarters to close at 1363 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, Chicago March contract pulling back six and three quarters cents to close at 647 and a quarter. The December down a half a cent to close at 647 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits. Lean hogs were not quite able to sustain their rallies today as were uh, feeder cattle and live cattle. Everything's pretty much down on the board today except for we did see uh, just a little bit of 
week or a little bit of strength, I should say, in the deferreds in live cattle. But February front month down a nickel today to close at 115 flat. The April up 17 and a half to close at 119.27. Feeder cattle down 90 cents today to close at 135.77. The March down 85 to close at 136. 57 and a half and in lean hogs february down a dollar 15 to close at 69 seven and a half the april down a dollar 10 to close at 73 dollars and rounding things out here with the class three dairy milk futures january up 49 cents today to close at 1666 the february up a dollar 10 to close at 1897 and without further ado let's get over to today's interview ashton where we are talking about ranching in nebraska On today's podcast, we have Jacqueline Wilson, who is joining us from, I believe you're you're in Nebraska, in uh, Nebraska, coming from Wilson Ranch and Flying Diamond Beef. Jacqueline, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for the invite this morning. I'm, I'm actually sitting in a tractor right now, northeast of Lakeside, Nebraska, because um, we were sorting cattle here at the feedlot this morning to, to try to get them into our background lot. And wasn't my horse isn't fast enough to make it home to take the Zoom call in the office. So, yeah. Sorry. So if you hear some wind, it's just the tractor noise in the background. Oh, definitely not a problem. We've had folks join us from the tractor before. So it's something that we are used to, I suppose, I guess, you know, working with people in the agriculture industry, you're going to come across that a time or two. But Jacqueline, why don't you give us a, a short introduction about you before we get into talking about your operation? Sure. So I was um, raised and born here northeast of Lakeside, Nebraska, out in uh, Sandhills, Nebraska. And I attended school at the University of Nebraska and then came home in 2002 to join at that time my dad and my uncle in our commercial cow-calf operation. Um, the three of us ranched together until we went through succession this last January, in January 2020. And um, along with ranching now full-time with my dad, we're partners in on our commercial operation. But then in 2013, I started a recent business called Flying Diamond Genetics and was able to expand kind of beyond what I was planning on and had the opportunity to lease another ranch and, and took that opportunity. And then in 2019, and um, May, I brought in a business partner on that, who was mostly kind of doing the day to day at the other operation until she actually passed away here from an ATV accident this last October. So I've Brought all my my cattle back to our operation here, and so now uh, it's just trying to get things figured out and working on that. And then myself and her, and then another partner, we uh, started flying in beef. Uh, been it's been actually going on for over a year now. Uh, it's just a direct to consumer um, beef program. We take cattle that we raise here on our operation and finish them out. We pasture raise them and grain finish them, and then send them to a USDA plant in Colorado, and then deliver to the consumer. Jacqueline, you are a busy woman. I mean, it sounds like you basically got three different businesses. Is that right? Going on kind of simultaneously? <laughs> Boy, some days it kind of feels like that. Yeah. You know, I was actually thinking I was supposed to be snowmobiling last week and I ended up canceling because I'm like, I, I just constantly feel like I'm behind or trying to struggle, uh, you know, catch up, especially with all the struggles that have been going on the last couple of months. And so, mm -hmm. but, you know, I, I think that's the great part about range is, is, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, we do it because we love it, even though some days it's frustrating and heartbreaking and all of those other words that you don't really even want to talk about. But, you know, at the same time, it's still there's still joy in it. I still find enjoyment. I do every day. 
Absolutely. And that's the important part. And I think that's why most folks in agriculture continue to do what they do. But I want to talk a little bit more here about your ranch and flying diamond beef. It looks like according to your website, Wilson Ranch is a red Angus slash red composite operation uh, that was founded in 1888. So that's very impressive to see that you're a fifth generation rancher. But tell us a little bit more about the genetic lineup and why you guys specifically chose red Angus cattle. Does that lend itself to better quality meats when you're going to sell that to uh, the consumer? Well, you know, originally we started in, in Shorthorn back in the late 1800s and then, and then start and, and then like everybody else at that time, we were Hereford in the early 1900s. Um, we actually bought our first Red Angus bull in the 70s. So long before I came along and then we were in those on a, the Hereford Red Angus cross until about 1980. And then we actually, um, we bought into something about Devon genetics at that time. And we're doing a way composite. And then over time, we've kind of stuck with the Red Angus because it's, they've, they really fit our environment. The cows are, they're great disposition. They're um, really efficient. They're moderate. We, we have a real moderate French herd, um, excellent udders, great feet. You know, once you, once you kind of weed out some of those certain bloodlines. And, and so since then, we, we kind of have a high percentage red Angus, and then we've added a little bit of Simmental in over time. And so um, in terms of the beef quality, it's, you know, we haven't had any complaints yet. So that's, that's great. I think we sent, uh, we sent over 60 head to harvest last year that went to our direct program. Um, you know, we, we market other ways besides that, both privately through the cell barn, we retain ownership on them. So we, we do a lot of different ways of marketing, but for our direct program, um, it's been great. We've had, we're, we just started to ship our, our first shipment orders went out over Christmas and, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. It's, it's definitely has changed a lot of, of how I've looked at our business because that's something that's been really important. And I think that we sometimes forget that as, as ranchers, you know, it seems like when we sell, when we sell our cattle, we're done with them. And there's a lot of times we almost need to keep following them through to see, you know, how that, how that finished product is on a plate. And a lot of times, a lot of, a lot of ranchers aren't given that opportunity to. And, and so it's been neat. I'm the first person, I'm the first person that touches that animal because I'm the one that's doing our tagging and weighing and, and banding at birth. And then I'm, I'm the person that delivers it to the packing facility. And then I'm the person that delivers that finished product to the consumer. So it's, it's kind of a, a life cycle right there. And it's, it's, it's been something that I didn't think I'd find as much enjoyment in it as I have, but it's, it's been so neat meeting the customers and they get so excited and it's, it's yeah, it's just been a, a great, great experience. So Jacqueline, I'm particularly interested in your data collection and technology that y'all are using at your operation and you're using performance data, but you're also teaming up with a genomics company where you're doing eatability traits in those scores and choosing animals to harvest based off those scores. So can you just walk us through that process? Sure, absolutely. So we signed a partnership deal two years ago with Neogen, a genomic company that um, I specifically work with a crew out of out of Lincoln. Um, they, what we do, we end up doing is we go through we we do TSUs or tissue samples on some of our some of our cattle. We'll send them down to Neogen, give us back. I think there's like 16 different parameters that we'll include along with our production data that we. I mean, we're collecting data from day one on the on these cattle. I mean, and we're putting it all into a computer program that's also based in Lincoln called CalSense. And so we just try to collect as much data as we can along the way. And what we're hoping to and what we're currently working with Neogen on is to get it to the point where we'll be able 
to specifically um, do genomic testing on every animal that we send to our direct program. And so we can kind of decide, determine based off of those, some of those parameters, if we're looking for something that we want extra tenderness in or certain marbling traits or whatnot, we can send them that direction instead of maybe sending them to, um, you know, to the cell barn and to sell to somebody as a feeder or else retain ownership on them in the feedlot to maybe send to the big four or something. So it's just given us another, given us another venue um, of information to use because I don't think you can ever have too much information as long as you know how to weed through it properly and kind of find out what specifically works towards your operation. And I bet, you know, here with uh, COVID-19 being able to sell directly to the consumer was a uh... Probably an exciting, but also a challenging time. How did things change or shift for you as we saw like packing facilities close down and folks having to look elsewhere to get high quality protein? One of the really interesting things is we had actually started the direct to consumer program. We started flying diamond beef uh, last fall. And so we were already, we were having those conversations with retail um, investors, and then, and then of course, COVID hit. So originally, we kind of geared that the whole Flying Diamond Beef um, consumer marketing everything towards the front range, which would be like the Denver, um, Boulder, Fort Collins area there in Colorado, because it's, it's about a five-hour drive, but that's where the population center is. And then after COVID, we kind of had to change and adjust because, of course, most of the retail was shutting down. And so we were no longer having those conversations. And we had more people that were all of a sudden, you know, they couldn't find a beef supply at the grocery store. And so they were looking for somebody local that may have, may have beef. And so we ended up selling. We ended up selling more product here in Nebraska and to eastern Nebraska to the Lincoln and Omaha area than we, we did. We're selling on the front range. And so it really changed how we how we were looking at marketing our product. And so now we sell everywhere from over to Front Range, all the way over to Lincoln and Omaha, kind of anywhere in between, um, based off of what the consumer or clients want. And then, like I said before, we also have the ability to ship now um, to anywhere in the U.S., which is which has been kind of neat. It's, it's been a it's been a learning experience, <laughs> but it's you know we're we're starting to get it figured out and i think we're starting to streamline it a little and, and to understand it a lot better of of all the different parameters that are involved um we use a small small plant down in down in the san luis valley in colorado it actually is about an 18 hour drive round trip for me to take our cattle over there to be processed and so you know that's we're trying to they've been phenomenal to work with and and now what they they actually are setting us up with one day a month um for 20 where we can actually take a, a pot load if we want to over. And so instead of having to just take a trailer at a time, which is really nice. So having that relationship with the plant has been huge. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, great facility. I mean, the owner comes out every time and helps unload cattle and I get to walk through the fab floor and see what they're working on. And, and so, so building those relationships have been very, very important um, to ensure that we have that supply continually going. So Jacqueline, you're a fifth generation rancher. This is something, you know, that you have been around your whole life. And now as you are taking the lead on this operation, what has been the hardest part about, you know, kind of switching that role? I think the hardest part for me is, I mean, that's the thing, you know, you, you, you're raised in it. So you have a really good understanding, but I, like I, I work with my dad on a day-to-day -day basis. My dad's my best friend and we get along great. He gives me the freedom to, 
um, really try to experiment on certain things. And also, you know, if I get too, too wild and crazy ideas, he has enough wisdom and knowledge. He puts his foot down and woes me up too, which, which sometimes we need, but, but it's so nice to have somebody there to talk to and to swing ideas off of. And, and, you know, and he's also open to those. And there's a lot of a lot of operations where they're on multi-generational operations that, you know, the, the different generations might not be open to listening to each other. And so that's something that has been really great. The, the biggest challenge for me personal is I as I literally I'm, I suck at the work life balance. And, and that's something um, I love to travel. But, you know, usually when I travel, it's always work related or business related and and I'm going to I need to do a better job especially in 2021 kind of just just focusing a little bit more on on my stuff every once in a while and maybe maybe taking a break and realizing that you know at the end of the day I can I can walk away from work for an hour or two I don't have to take it home with me too or on the weekends or every holiday but I think that's the biggest challenge I'm I've been kind of dealing with myself right now Absolutely. I think a lot of people have that challenge. I know I certainly do, Jacqueline. But before we let you go, if folks want to learn more about your ranch or Flying Diamond Beef, how can they do that? Yeah, they can find us on social media. Uh, Myself, my personal Facebook page is Jacqueline Wilson. They can also like us at Flying Diamond Beef on Facebook. Head over to our website at flyingdiamondbeef.com or, or also follow her on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all and all those other ones too. So yeah, have a presence in all of them. So yeah, or just, you know, Google. Google's a great, great tool to have too. So absolutely. It certainly is. Well, Jacqueline, again, thank you so much for joining us today. That's great. Thank you. Thanks again there to fifth generation rancher Jacqueline Wilson for coming on and talking to us. I'm definitely not fifth generation or or anything like that, but hopefully, you know, my family can continue on the legacy of ranching because her story, it inspires me, I should say. Yeah, it certainly does me too. Um, You know, you and I are, we've always got a lot of irons in the fire, Ashton. Jacqueline absolutely does too. And I respect other people that can make it all work, but I would say most people in agriculture have got a lot of irons in the fire and just make it work. Absolutely, Delaney. And we're always talking to interesting people on the Ag News Daily podcast. And you can listen to those episodes at agnewsdaily.com and keep up with the stories that we share on social media at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.